The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I have my welcome to Frank's. I'm Brian Salter, one of the pastors here, and it's a powerful scene we just heard, and we want to have God speak to us specifically, individually by His Spirit through this scene, this true real-life event that really happened here on earth through a person named Jesus. Let's pray that He'll speak to us. Father, we thank you for your mercy, your compassion, your power. We ask now that your consoling compassion and your powerful restorative word would visit us in this very moment and that by your spirit you would do what none of us can do and that's change our hearts. So would you come now and do that for all of us in this room? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm sure that many of us remember, particularly those in various business sectors, March 2021, when for six days a giant container ship called the Ever Given was stuck in the Suez Canal in Egypt. If you were in some sort of business, you remember it because it caused utter chaos uh, globally. The Suez Canal in Egypt is a critical shortcut between the East and the West and one of the world's most important waterways linking Europe and Asia. And this ship, 220,000 ton ship, got stuck when 
with wind and a sandstorm, the ship began to turn sideways and trying to regain control over that massive ship, the crew decided to put on speed and try to get through and they slammed into the bank and they ran aground and got stuck in the sand and the mud and the rock. Could you imagine being that crew at that moment? <laughs> uh, well, I think we got to call the boss. Uh, something went wrong. <clears throat> you just clogged the most crucial artery for world trade. $10 billion of cargo a day was lost. Cars, oil, Livestock, laptops, jet fuel, scrap metal, grain, sweaters, sneakers, electronics, toilet paper. <laughs> there was even a, a cargo container of tofu, I understand, and it was lost. Wouldn't you have hated to be the one that opened that container <laughs> after six days or whenever they got to it? But all the world's experience gathered together. They all over the world in Egypt to say, how do we dislodge something this massive? And no human power could figure it out. Do you know what set that boat free? The heavens. An unusual, an unusually high spring tide. The sun and the moon moved in a way and the heavens just north of the Red Sea, that boat had a mini exodus. <laughs> the waters moved and started to rise and suddenly that boat moved and the power of heaven was the only hope for a stuck ship. Every one of us left to ourselves, we're stuck. It's even worse than the ever given. Left to ourselves, we are grounded in our sinful condition. We are desperate slaves to death. We are completely clogged so that life and goodness cannot flow in us and through us. That's left to ourselves. And then you meet the compassionate power of heaven come to earth in the person of Jesus. And he sets us free. He dislodges us from the tyranny of sin and death. And what we understand is that heaven has come down in Jesus. And he's the only way for any of us to live a life that is set free. And it is Jesus who brings true and deep consolation to our deepest losses. And it is only Jesus that brings ultimate restoration to our needy lives. Look first at Jesus' consoling compassion. In verse 11, soon afterward, they had just left where the centurion servant had been healed in Capernaum. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Jesus and his disciples, along with a large, curious, interested crowd, begin to follow him, and they move toward the city of Nain. It's about five miles southeast of Nazareth. So just imagine a procession of a crowd for five miles heading towards this place. 
And then it says in verse 12, as he drew near to the gate of the town, those city gates would have been significant. Uh, the crowd following Jesus meets another crowd as they are exiting those city gates. Uh, they encounter a funeral procession. Now understand the funerals in those days took place outside of the city gates. So they're leaving the city often on the day of death. The body would be taken outside of the city. And so here comes this one crowd with Jesus and here's this funeral procession and they're going to meet right there around the city gates. Now, far before Jesus and the disciples saw the funeral, they would have heard it. In that culture, funeral processions were marked with the sounds of sadness. The poorest in Israel, even the poorest would hire no less than two flutes and one wailing woman at least. And the goal was to make much noise, much noise, professional mourners, professional wailers. Why? So that the family and this poor mother could weep without embarrassment. That she would not be singled out in her sorrow. Others in the crowd that they encounter would have been carrying spices to anoint the body and wrappings for the grave cloth. And we're told as they drew near to the gate of the town, very likely having heard it, then Luke says, behold. Now they see something and Luke wants you to see something and it's incredibly sad. A man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Two crowds collide in a moment of incredible sadness. Why is this so sad beyond just death and the loss of a child? Because she now is the poorest of the poor. She is a widow and she's lost her only child, which means no one will provide for her. No one can protect her. This woman walks in front of the funeral procession. The mother would have walked in front of the buyer. The buyer being a, a wagon with a pallet maybe that had the body on it or a, a, like a cot. They placed the body on it with long poles and carry the body. That would have been behind the weeping woman. So the first person Jesus would have encountered would have been the widow. The poorest of the poor. She is facing a future as a widow without a child now in that culture. Her future will be defined by loneliness, sorrow, fear, the closure of her family line. This is a desperate, destitute, weeping widow. And verse 13 says, and when the Lord saw her, don't look past that. It's the first time Luke calls Jesus Lord himself. Others have done it, but now Luke says, this is the Lord. Makes it very clear. The Lord of heaven and earth sees her. He doesn't look past her. God of heaven and earth doesn't look over her. He doesn't look down on her. He looks into her, into her heart. He sees 
her tears. And then it says, he had compassion on her. You may have heard before in the Bible that word compassion is basically the insides, the gut. Do you see Jesus? Stirred in his gut for people who are facing deep loss and who are weeping. He sees. He doesn't look over. He doesn't look beyond. He sees and he's moved in his heart. He has deep compassion. He, he, in the previous scene with the centurion servant, the centurion made a request, but here I want you to notice there's no request. This movement of compassion comes from the heart of Jesus. It's his move because it's his heart. Compassionate and consoling for those who have deep loss. You remember as he approached Lazarus' grave in John eleven thirty three, and he saw Mary weeping. He had the same response. He was, the text says he was deeply moved and greatly troubled and he even wept. This is not an isolated experience of Jesus. This is who he is. This is his character. He sees and is stirred by those who are destitute and despairing and weeping. And he said to her, do not weep. Now, that statement is not the absence of compassion where someone would say, stop crying. It's actually the presence of hope. Because the one who says, do not weep, can dry her tears. That's a whole different way to say, do not weep. When you know you have the power to dry her tears and restore her hope. How could he say such? You remember Revelation 5, 3 through 5? There's another scene where it says, weep not. It said, no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I, John, began to weep loudly because no one was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. He has conquered. And he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of Judah is in name at the city gates and says, don't weep. That's our Savior. That's who he is. Jesus sees our losses, he sees our tears, he moves towards us in those moments, not away from us. Do you see him? Do you hear that voice from Jesus? The story is told of Thomas Jefferson in his days as president. He and a group of his companions were traveling across the country on horseback and they came upon a flooded river. The bridge had washed away and each rider was forced to Ford the river on horseback and it was quite dangerous because the currents were severe. There was one particular traveler, he was not a part of the group. He was watching from a distance and, and after seeing several people with the president cross the river safely, the stranger wandered up to the president, tapped his boot and said, can I have a ride across the river? President Jefferson agreed 
And the two of them made it safely to the other side. And then a stranger, as he slid off the back of the horse, it's reported that a a man in the group with the president looked at him and said, why on earth would you ask the president of the United States for a ride across the river? Why didn't you ask one of us? And then he said this, I had no idea he was the president of the United States. All I knew is this, this is what he said, written upon some of your faces was the word no. But written upon his face was the word yes. And I needed a yes face today. Do you see the yes face of Jesus? Do you hear the yes voice of Jesus? For those who are distraught and stuck and destitute and sorrowing, do we really truly believe this is what God is like? Really? I think if we're honest, though it would be wrong, but if we're honest, a lot of us would say, I think Jesus is like that, but I don't think the Father's like that. Like somehow I think the Father's really angry and Jesus is just always holding him off. I'm here to tell you, listen, As the divine son, listen, Jesus is the essential image of the father's personhood. Son and father are distinct, but they share exactly the same character and attributes because there's only one true God and one divine essence. So whoever has seen Jesus has seen the father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, listen, they're full of consoling compassion. That's who they are. We need not fear that there is another hidden God totally different from Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you want to know what they're like? Right here. He sees. He moves. Don't weep. That's our God. Are we taking initiative? When we see Jesus like this, are we taking the initiative and the opportunity ourselves, having known this one, for us to be the yes face of Jesus? Are we going towards people who are destitute and desperate and lonely, and sad, and sorrowing, and saying, I represent the one who has a yes face, a yes voice for those like you. That's the only right response to knowing one like this. Secondly, you see his commanding restoration in verse 14 through 15. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. You bet they did. Nobody did that. I mean, it'd be like if we were in the sanctuary at a funeral and we were rolling, a casket was present, we were rolling the casket out the middle and somebody just got up out of their seat and stood in front of it. Everybody would be, what's going on? it get attention, right? Even more then, because the law in Numbers 19.11 said, well, whoever touches the dead body of any, any person shall be unclean for seven days. So this was a violation of ceremonial law to the person, unless you as a person, Jesus, are the death of death. If you're the death of death, 
you can approach the dead one. And that's what's happening here. But it says that the bearers stood still. You know, they're marching with the thing or carrying it. And he approaches and they just... It's like in a movie when all the sound just goes... That, that seems to me like what might have happened. All the crowd noise, all the wailing, all the flutes playing. Just, what is happening? And it's in that moment that 2 Timothy 2.20 that describes Jesus as the one who destroys death. He goes and he says, Young man, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And I say that laughing because that would have been unbelievable. <laughs> Nothing can mess with a funeral like Jesus. <laughs> the dead man sat up and spoke. And then what tenderness. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what age this kid is. Jesus gave him back to his mother. That's our God. That's so sweet and tender and powerful. I mean, think about this. There's a connection to Elijah. If you remember in 1 Kings 17, Elijah, it says, he took a child. He brought him down from the upper chamber, a child who was dead, and he delivered him back to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Well, now you know why they say after this event, now you understand why they say, a great prophet has arisen among us. This guy's like Elijah. He raises dead people and gives them back to their mother, tenderly, compassionately. Indeed, this would have, this would have been stunning, but the distinction and the difference between Elijah and Elisha, both who raised dead children as prophets, it's when Elijah did it, he had to lay himself over the child three times. And when Elisha did it, he touched him with his staff and then laid over him. But when Jesus does it, young man, arise. Because that voice spoke creation into existence. And that voice is the death of death. And it's one thing to have compassion. It's another thing to have compassion and the power to change everything. That's our God, right here at the city gates. Only Jesus by his word, only Jesus by his work halts the tragic progression to the grave. If your life is marked right now more by dying than living, meaning you are full of self-loss, your life is a wreck, your life is at the end, it seems. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, relationally, emotionally. I'm telling you, this one at the city gates in Nain, who's ascended into heaven and by his Holy Spirit has the power to change everything with a word. It's true. If you'll yield and come under that word. You see, the dead, what's interesting about this text is this dead son is going to go back in the grave. 
He's going to eventually die and go back in the grave. Some say this isn't a resurrection, this is a resuscitation. Ah, the guy was dead. He's alive. That was a resurrection. He's going back in. But guess who went in and will never go back? Jesus. And guess what that means for us? People of God, we're going to arise because of his word and his work. That's true. You then see the compelling impact of what happens here. Verse 16 says, fear sees them all. You bet. <laughs> it's like, way to go, Luke. That was a real hard sentence to write right there. And you know, that moment would have been just, of course, fear sees them all. They just saw a dead guy sit up and talk and go back to his mother. But what's interesting is he says they glorified God. They connected the source of what was happening. And here's what is true. When you see the heart-startling, powerful compassion of Jesus, the only right response is heart-stopping awe. Fall on your face, glory to God. That's the only right response to heart-startling compassion with power like this. Because out of the abundance of the heart-stopping awe, guess what? The mouth of the awestruck speaks glory. And they respond. They respond with two connections. So they see this, and I would not say that they're making all the full connections to who Jesus is. They're, they're beginning to connect some things like a great prophet has arisen among us. Again, the connection to Elijah and Elisha and the raising of the dead children. And, and yet I want you to hear the connection that they're probably connecting to is the words of the mother when Elijah gave the child back to her. Here's what she said. To Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. That was the mother's response to Elijah. Now I know that you're a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Well, listen. On this side of the cross and understanding the scripture and all the Old Testament fulfillment, we have different words to say now in our mouths. Here's what we say. Not Jesus, now I know that you're a man of God. We say this, Jesus, I know you're the God man. You're the God man. And we say this, and the word is not just in your mouth and is the truth. You are the word made flesh. That's the response. They're beginning to connect and they'll eventually see, now I know Jesus, you're not just a man of God. You're the God man and you're the word made flesh. That's who's here. And then they say this powerful phrase in the scriptures that's used. God has visited his people. It's common language when he provided food and Ruth, when he provided Samuel to Hannah, the holy divine visitation of God. It was, it was shorthand for saying God's clear, gracious activity has showed up before our eyes. 
And that's what Zechariah sung about when he said this earlier in Luke. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has what? Visited and redeemed his people. Think about how hungry they have been for God to visit them. All those years of silence, no prophets, somewhat apparent absence of God, it seemed to them. And now, at the city gates of Nain, God showed up. God visited us. That's what we're praying for with Renew. We're praying for the God in the person of the Son at the city gates of Nain to show up on Lookout Mountain with power and compassion and transform us. That's what we're praying for. For God to take dead things and bring life. For God to come and take sorrowing tears and say, yeah, I said it in Revelation. I'm going to wipe every tear away. And to say, he's beginning. He's, he's beginning here at the city gate, that gentle wiping of tears that he will fully do one day. Would he wipe tears here? Would he visit us with power? Let us pray. That is our request to you, Jesus. Visit us with power and compassion. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you that this is your character. Consoling compassion and restorative power. Help us believe. Help us truly believe in the yes face of Jesus and the yes voice of Jesus and help us embody that face and that voice to those in our world, maybe in our homes, in our community, in our city, who are desperate and destitute and weeping and poor. For your glory we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.